0: This is C-SPAN's The Weekly for Friday, April the 5th. I'm Steve Scully in Washington. With another deadline looming this month, will Great Britain break away from the European Union? Or will the EU give Parliament yet another extension to sort through the politics surrounding this deeply divisive issue? Our guest is Niall Gardner. He serves as the director of the Margaret Thatcher Center for Freedom at the Heritage Foundation here in Washington. He's been a fierce critic of Prime Minister Theresa May's leadership on the issue. And for the next half hour, we explain how the UK reached this point, what may happen next, and what it means for Great Britain and the rest of Europe. We begin, though, with the speaker in the House of Commons as he tries to restore order to this fierce debate. That is what it's been like the last couple of years, in fact, in the British House of Commons. And Niall Gardner, I want to begin by telling you that one of the most often repeated comments about C-SPAN's coverage is the British House of Commons and Question Time, which dates back to your former boss, Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher. Americans love it.
1: Yeah, it's a great institution with many great traditions, uh, and and I think it is the you know, the the cradle of British uh, democracy. And and I think that, uh, you know, the House of Commons is a place where you can see some of the most interesting, you know, political characters on earth, really, um, saying some of the most interesting things as well. And and so it's an environment where MPs are very, very outspoken. It's where the prime minister is held to account every single week in prime minister's questions. It's very adversarial. uh, And it's also great entertainment as well. Uh, So uh, I'm sure that a large number of Americans like to watch the proceedings of the House of Commons, and and it is democracy in action in many ways.
0: It has always been contentious, uh, but no more so than now with the debate over Brexit. I want to share with you this headline from the Washington Post. Brexit has turned British politics into a zombie horror movie.
1: That's one way of of, of putting it. <laughs> Certainly it's been, you know, it's been a real spectacle, actually. A lot of blood and guts, I think, on the floor of the House of Commons in the last it's been a uh, mess. couple of weeks. Yeah. It's been uh it's been an incredible uh, uh few weeks in in London and, and I have to say that um, you know, the House of Commons actually hasn't come off particularly well over the past uh, few weeks, especially the past few days on the Brexit Brexit front, because I think what you have seen is a democratic vote by 17.4 million Britons in 2016 being uh, eroded by the actions of a large number of of MPs who don't want Brexit to happen at all. Uh, And so many of these MPs are trying to derail the Brexit process uh, altogether. They've been pushing, of course, for uh, extensions to to Article 50. Uh, Some have been uh, pushing for a a second referendum vote. Britain's already voted on, on Brexit they're pushing for a second referendum uh, and i think that you know there is there is a feeling among many brexit supporters in in Britain that uh, parliament or a large number of the mp's within parliament are trying to overturn the biggest democratic vote in in british history uh, and and i think that the the outcome of all this is going to be a growing disillusionment with the uh, with the political elites in, in London. I, I think that uh, there's great dissatisfaction across uh, across the country right now with what is happening in, in uh, Parliament and a real fear that Brexit is actually slipping away at the moment. Uh, and it doesn't help, of course, I think that you have a, a prime minister who uh, has never really fully believed in Brexit herself. And so that's a big pro- part of the problem as well.
0: I want to come back to all of these points, but let's go back to 2016. Did then-British Prime Minister David Cameron miscalculate when he put Brexit to a vote by the British people?
1: Well, I'm certainly glad that David Cameron did put the vote to the British people. Uh, He certainly miscalculated in the sense that he didn't think that the Brexit side would win. Uh, David Cameron was so confident that uh, the Remain camp would would prevail – uh, that, uh, you know, that he, he went full forward, of course, with, with the idea of a referendum. Uh, and a, as it turned out, uh, David Cameron lost that referendum. He resigned almost immediately, to his credit, I think. Uh, and I think that you know, this in many ways is David Cameron's legacy, the, the referendum. I think he made the right decision to hold that referendum. Uh, but he, he certainly misjudged, I think, the mood of the country uh, and the depth of animosity towards British membership of the European Union. Uh, and I think that it's also an example with, with David Cameron, a politician who was sort of quite out of touch, really, with where uh, the bulk of his own political party uh, uh, were. And, and I think that Theresa May today is in a similar situation where you have a huge uh, rebellion within the Conservative Party against Theresa May uh, and, and deep-seated dissatisfaction with her leadership.
0: Can you explain the frustration with Brussels, with the European Union by businesses, by members of parliament and by the British people?
1: Yeah, I think what it boils down to really uh, is that, uh, you know, for, for, for so many decades, uh, Britain has been, uh, you know, part of the, the European Union, the uh, European Economic Community formerly, and Britain has lost a great deal of its sovereignty. And this, I think, is at the heart of the whole Brexit debate. The inability of Britain to have full control over its own laws, its own borders, its own courts, two-thirds of British law now emanates from Brussels. Britain does not control its own borders in terms of who comes in from, uh, from Europe. British courts are subject to rulings of European uh, courts. And so there is a, there's a ruling elite in Brussels that actually has a huge say over everyday uh, life of Britons. Uh, and I think the British people basically had enough, and they said enough is enough. We're going to leave the European Union. We're going to retake control, which was the main slogan, of course, of the Vote Leave uh, campaign. Uh, and and I think at its heart Brexit is all about restoring British sovereignty and self-determination, the right of the British people to decide their own future, their own destiny. And uh, as a member of the European Union, Britain is not uh, entirely a free country, and that's a reality for all of the uh, the, the current 28 members of the EU. These are not fully sovereign nations. The EU is about pooling sovereignty, uh, sharing uh, sovereignty, uh, and that's not everyone's cup of tea. And I think for 17.4 million Britons, uh, who voted to leave the European Union. Their desire is for Britain to be a truly sovereign nation again, uh, and uh, and that is really what Brexit is all about at the end of the day.
0: There are a number of subplots, and I want to examine a few of them. First of all, the issue between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. Explain why that is a sticking point in these negotiations.
1: Well, it's been a key uh, sticking point uh, because of the Irish border issue. And so as part of the EU withdrawal agreement negotiated between the British government and uh, and the European Union, um, the EU demanded that there be a backstop in place uh, in the withdrawal agreement that would ensure that there would be no hard border between Northern Ireland and the, the Irish Republic. That, of course, was a key um, uh, demand from the Irish government, and the Irish government is an important player within the EU. Uh, And as a result of the the inclusion of the the backstop, uh, this means that if there is no, um, I would say, uh, full agreement between the United Kingdom and the European Union uh, with regard to the future of of a trading uh, uh, arrangement uh, that ensures that there is no hard border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, the backstop then comes in place. Uh, The backstop basically means that Britain will stay in its entirety within the EU Customs Union. And what that means, in effect, is that Britain cannot sign its own free trade agreements. So this was the key issue uh, of uh, disagreement between Theresa May and a lot of her own backbenchers in Parliament, who felt that the backstop was unacceptable, that this would keep Britain tied indefinitely inside the EU Customs Union, uh, threatening Britain's ability to have its own trade policy. And so this is how the Northern Ireland issue has linked into uh, the, the overall EU withdrawal agreement. Uh, and it's the key reason why so many Conservative MPs have voted against the EU withdrawal agreement on three occasions in the House of Commons. They simply would not accept the backstop, uh, which which in my view, the, the backstop is actually a very bad idea because it really constrains Britain's um, uh, ability to operate as a truly sovereign country. Uh, in the coming decades, and, and so that's why the EU withdrawal agreement, in essence, is, is so fundamentally uh, flawed. Um, but the Northern Ireland issue always loomed large uh, for uh, for Brexit uh, discussions, uh, not least because of the uh, the very strong resistance to Brexit from the, uh, the the government in the Irish Republic, but also you have in Britain's Parliament ten members of the Democratic Unionist Party, the DUP. Uh, who helped keep the British uh, government in power, basically. And so the DUP has a lot of power and influence within, within Parliament right now, and they've opposed the EU withdrawal agreement because of the Irish backstop.
0: Niall Gardner, another subplot to all of this is the situation in Scotland, and I want you to listen to what Ian Blackford said. He is with the Scottish National Party, a member of Parliament. His frustration and even anger aimed at the British Prime Minister Theresa May.
1: Mr. Ian Blackford, Mr. Speaker, what I did ask about was formal talks. I am well aware that my friend and colleague is meeting with the Prime Minister this afternoon, but I will see this. I will see this to the Prime Minister. Uh, order! No, members are becoming very overexcited. Very overexcited. The right honourable gentleman has a right to be heard, and he will be heard. Mr. Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker, and let me make it clear that the voices of Scotland will not be shouted down by Conservatives in this House. The important factor here, Prime Minister, is you are having formal talks with the Leader of the Opposition. Scotland will not accept a Tory or a Labour Brexit. Scotland voted to remain in the European Union, and we simply will not be dragged out against our will.
0: That from the House of Commons, and this is clearly an issue not only dividing the political parties, but also the country itself.
1: Uh, yes, it cer- certainly is. And, you know, the Scottish nationalists, uh, I think, have um, have an important role in, in all this, actually. I mean, they are, you know, they're an important force, actually, within the House of Commons. The Scottish nationalists are fundamentally opposed to Brexit. And so their role right now is, is to put pressure upon uh, Jeremy Corbyn, the Labour leader, not to make... Significant concessions to Theresa May on the Brexit front, and so the, the Scottish nationalist position, of course, is to revoke Article 50 altogether and to uh, prevent Brexit from from happening. Uh, and and I think that uh, for you know for Jeremy for Jeremy Corbyn, um, you know he's in he's in a rather difficult spot here because uh, Corbyn himself is at odds with a lot of members of his own party on Brexit. He's also at odds with uh, with the Scottish nationalists on some of their particular demands, and Corbyn isn't in a position right now to agree to the SNP's demand to revoke Article 50 and block block Brexit because over a third of Labour Party uh, supporters actually uh, voted for uh, for Brexit in the 2016 referendum. And so there is, there is a division between where Labour is and the Scottish National Party are on, on the Brexit issue. Because basically Brexit is, is, the, is still the official position of the, of the Labour uh, Party to move forward with Brexit, although they want a soft Brexit. The SNP completely opposed Brexit.
0: In your commentaries and in your writings, you have been very critical of the Prime Minister, Theresa May. And you point out to one of her many miscalculations the fact that she held a snap election last year. Why was that a mistake?
1: Well, I think the the decision by Theresa May to hold a, a snap election was was an extremely risky, dangerous uh, decision. Um, and up until that point, the Conservatives did actually have a working majority in, in Parliament. They actually lost that uh, majority uh, in the the last general election, and this was election election that uh, Theresa May did not have to uh, have to hold uh, at all. Uh, and and so the so the, the the 2017 election that Theresa May did hold was was an election that she you know she did not have to hold at all, and as a result the Conservatives lost their overall majority. They then became dependent upon the Democratic Unionist Party, the DUP, and their ten MPs to remain in power uh, through a uh, th- sort of supply. Uh, you know, agreement between the two, and and I think this was a, a foolish um, example of hubris on the part of the prime minister, overconfident, going into that uh, that general election, uh, and this was an election that really eroded her ability then to be able to lead on Brexit. Actually, so you know, elections have consequences. Uh, the Conservatives did emerge as the the biggest party in that that election, but they lost the majority, and that that is absolutely critically important. A huge. I I think failure of strategic judgment on the part of of Theresa May, and and I think that uh, she she really made the wrong judgment call on that, and today we're living with the consequences.
0: You also, in a C-SPAN radio interview, said that Margaret Thatcher, your former boss, former British prime minister, would have done things differently. How so?
1: Yeah, I think that Margaret Thatcher would have uh, stood up to the European Union. She would have undoubtedly have gone into the negotiations with the EU uh, from a, w- with a very tough stance. Uh, she would have certainly threatened to walk away if she didn't get what she wanted, and I think she would have walked away if she didn't get what she wanted. Uh, and Margaret Thatcher's approach to dealing with European politicians um, was always one of negotiating from, from strength and all, always actually holding out the nuclear option as well. Theresa May went into these negotiations, I think, from a position of weakness. Uh, she also uh, ruled out walking away from the negotiations. She also uh, almost immediately agreed to hand over 39 billion pounds of the European Union, which is a sort of, you know, ransom demand by the EU uh, as the price for leaving uh, the the European club. Um, and so Theresa May gave all sorts of concessions on on day one, uh, which was uh, extremely uh, risky and dangerous, in my in my opinion. And Margaret Thatcher, I think, would have really uh, had an entirely different approach. She was a much tougher politician. She was also somebody who I think carried far greater weight and respect. And Theresa May has been viewed as a real lightweight by the EU. She's been pushed over, uh, over and over again. She's also seen as a very weak leader who doesn't have the control of her own party as well, is another issue. I think that Margaret Thatcher would have you know, gone into the negotiations with the European Union really with an entirely different mindset. And she would have gone into the negotiations with one with one uh, outcome in mind, and that was victory. Whereas Theresa May, uh, I think, went into the, those negotiations with a very confused, muddled uh, state. She didn't support Brexit, actually, uh, in the 2016 referendum. She, she uh, opposed it. She was not a Brexiteer. Uh, and she was willing to get any kind of deal with the EU, uh, and and she was trampled all over, uh, humiliated in many in many respects, and she wasn't willing to walk away from the negotiations, which I think is a fundamental failure of um, uh, of of any sort of negotiating stance. So, but Margaret Thatcher is an entirely different leader to Theresa May. I mean, she really is, or um, well, she was a, a titan in terms of her um, political stature. Theresa May is nowhere. Near that kind of level.
0: In a speech last month before the 1922 Club, which, as you know, a group of conservatives, she basically said, I will leave 10 Downing Street. I will step down as prime minister if Brexit passes on the third go-round. Mark Phillips of CBS News said that uh, she threatened to fall on her sword and she missed. Explain that miscalculation.
1: Yeah, Theresa May um, made a, a pledge to her own party uh, that she would step down if they voted for her EU withdrawal agreement for a third time. Uh, as it turned out, uh, many in her own party still voted against the EU withdrawal agreement, even though she had promised to uh, to step down. Uh, and so, you know, I think that the issue with, with Theresa May is that many of her own MP, MPs don't actually trust her at all. And so when she said she was going to step down, if the EU withdrawal agreement went through, uh, I think that uh, a large number of OMPs simply did not believe what she had to say, and this is a problem for Theresa May. There's a real lack of credibility uh, with her, uh, and she's not seen as a as a politician of her of her word, uh, and uh, and I think that also her you know her pledge to step down and so on. This all sounded very desperate from the Prime Minister, really, um, and and I think that. You know, the fact is that she has a real credibility problem with her own, um, with her own MPs, with her own party. She's seen as untrustworthy, uh, and and you know, I think the view among many Conservative MPs was that even if if they had voted for this EU withdrawal agreement, uh, that there would be further concessions made to the European Union, that uh, she would still cling on to power. She wasn't willing to actually name a date for when she would step down, which was very significant. Uh, and and so I I think it was all badly handled by the the prime minister and it all looked rushed uh, sort of last minute sort of thing and that's very much her style, you know Theresa May you know doesn't really uh, I think um, think uh, think long term she's not a big picture thinker she has no real ideology at all either, uh, and she is in many senses a a real technocrat uh, of a politician rather than ideological politician like Margaret Thatcher was. Uh, and so, uh, so I think you know Theresa May has played the entire Brexit um, negotiations, and also how she's handled it with her own party, in an incredibly um, poorly conceived manner, really. And and I think she's you know now facing the consequences of that.
0: Let's very briefly go through three alternatives as posed by the London Guardian in terms of the next steps. First of all, no deal, which would mean what?
1: Yeah, so a no deal would mean that Britain exits the uh, the Euro- European Union on either April 12th or May 22nd is the other potential date as well. Uh, this means that uh, there's no transition period for Britain leaving the EU. So Britain immediately exits the EU's uh, single market and customs union. Uh, Britain operates under World Trade Organization rules. And Britain is able to then strike free trade agreements with countries across the world. Now, the No Deal option is actually uh, supported at the moment by 14 of the 27 members of Theresa May's cabinet. They voted for it in a cabinet meeting earlier this week. Theresa May overruled them, and a No Deal is supported by the vast majority of Conservative Party members, according to opinion polls, uh, and and is the you know the most popular uh, position among Conservative Party supporters. Also. A YouGov poll earlier this week showed that um, about 44% of Britain support a no deal, 42% are against. Uh, and and so public opinion is shifting towards a, a no deal. But I, I think in practice a no deal uh, would mean that Britain is a truly sovereign country again. And I think Britain will do just fine under a no deal. I and mean, I, I don't think the sky is going to fall in that uh, we're going to have some sort of you know apocalypse now for Britain. I think Britain will do just fine in a no deal scenario.
0: Here's more with British Prime Minister Theresa May.
1: Across, across this House, I believe we all have a responsibility to ensure that we deliver Brexit. Across this House, we all have a responsibility to ensure that we do that as soon as possible and that we deliver Brexit in an orderly way. And I think it is entirely right. I think members of the public, members of the public expect us to reach out across this house to find a way through this they want a solution the country needs a solution the country deserves a solution and that's what i'm working to find
0: so as part of that solution the other option is more negotiations
1: yeah that's that's correct so um i think that this is the path that uh, you know Theresa may is taking britain down uh, the prospect of uh you know endless negotiations with the european union an extension to Article 50, of course, of the Lisbon Treaty, uh, and I think that is the most likely scenario that we face uh, right right now. So, the Prime Minister seeking an extension from from Brussels, um, the European Union will decide how long that extension is, and and this is the reality that Britain faces. the The EU holds holds the cards because the Prime Minister refuses to go down the No Deal route, uh, and the EU can you know can decide. If and when Brexit actually happens, uh, right now, I mean, th- this is this is a situation the Prime Minister is uh, is um, is facing uh, because she simply will not um, agree to a No Deal uh, scenario, and so the EU basically calls the shots. Uh, and this could mean uh, an extension for Article 50, which um, which could be for one or two years. It could then be extended indefinitely. Um, and that and- would mean what? Well, what that means in, in practice is that uh, one possibility is that Britain never leaves the European Union. Uh, and uh, I think that there there is a hope on the part of many EU officials that by indefinitely extending Article 50, um, then, you know, future British government will will revoke Article 50 and, and end the Brexit process. Uh, or some are hoping that there will be a second referendum, which would overturn the original uh, referendum result. So... Um, it's significant, actually, that within Europe there's a wide range of opinion on this. So, for example, Emmanuel Macron wants the British out as soon as possible. Uh, and, in fact, Emmanuel Macron may push for Britain to be out on April 12th. And so this, this is what makes it so interesting next week, is that the French, who don't want the British inside the European Union, could actually veto an extension of Article 50. The Belgian and the Spanish are also not keen on Britain staying inside the European Union either. Um, and on the other side, you have countries like, uh, you know, Germany, for example, Ireland, who uh, are very, very strongly opposed to, uh, to, to Brexit. Uh, and so, you know, the best hope for Brexiteers right now in London is for Emmanuel Macron to come forward and veto an extension, which means that Britain then goes out of the EU on April 12th under a no deal. I would say that that remains still a strong possibility. But the prime minister will be begging the EU for an extension. Uh, and and I think that uh you know the the Prime minister will also agree to all sorts of demands from the European Union which will be likely be uh possibly tens of billions of pounds more from britain um all sorts of conditions on uh, on britain uh you know remaining within the European Union temporarily. Uh, which may include, for example, you know, Britain having no no uh, voting power, no no say over what happens within the European Union. I think the EU will issue very harsh demands because they will they will view this as a the terms of surrender from the British government, uh, and and they will um, they will extort whatever they can out of Britain. And I think Theresa May will probably give them everything they want.
0: Very quickly, the, the third scenario by the Guardian was a second referendum. You don't think that's going to happen, do you? Um,
1: well, not not with the current government. So Theresa May is not in favour of it. Although the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Philip Hammond, has voiced uh, you know possible support for a second referendum, uh, or said that it's a it's a possible scenario, which is not the position of the British government. Um, the The second referendum would happen if, for example, uh, if there were a, another general election to be held in the next year or so. If, for example, the Conservative government collapsed, if there was a general election, if Labour won that election, then Labour would hold a second referendum. But as long as you have a Conservative government, I don't see uh, the possibility of a second referendum.
0: And let me go back to the situation regarding France and Germany. Why are the French eager to see Great Britain leave the EU? And why does Germany, other countries, want to keep them in?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a great question, and and this is an example of where, you know, the Franco-German alliance doesn't always move in concert, and there's sometimes very strong disagreements, disagreements between Paris and Berlin. So Emmanuel Macron views the British as a real problem within the EU. Uh, he views Britain as an obstacle to the uh, the creation of a European federal superstate, which is what Macron wants. Macron wants to move forward with the creation of a European Union army. The British would block that within the European Union, as they have done for the last few decades. Uh, and so Macron views the, the British as, uh, as, counter, as a counterproductive presence within the EU. Uh, even though he hates Brexit, and he calls Brexit a crime, as, as is the favourite word that he uses for it. Um, but he, I think the view of Macron and a lot of his advisers is better off for France if Britain's out of the EU and the French can move forward with the creation of a federal super state. The Germans are a bit more pragmatic on all this. Um, and while um, uh, you know, while I think that Merkel shares some of Macron's vision for a federal Europe, she believes that it's better off for Germany if Britain remains in the European Union. So there's a fundamental divide between Macron and Merkel on this. Let's see how that all plays out next week. I think the odds are in favour of some kind of EU agreement uh, to offer Britain an extension. Uh, the question is how long that 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 agreement will be for. Macron will push for a short term agreement. Merkel will push for a long term one. So uh, we'll, we'll see who, who carries the day on this. But w- what makes it also interesting is that you cannot rule out the possibility of one EU member of the state saying Britain's got to leave on April 12th. And all EU 27 countries have to agree to an extension to Article 50. So all it takes is one country. And it could be Belgium, it could be Spain, it could be France uh, who who don't agree to that extension, and then Britain crashes out on April the twelfth. And so this is this is what makes it all so uh, you know so exciting in a way next next week, that nothing is guaranteed here, and that that Theresa May will grovel before the European Union, and she will grovel. And it will be a humiliating moment for the Prime Minister and for Britain as a whole. Uh, and uh, and she will probably agree to everything that the EU demands, including huge amounts of extra money. Um, uh, but it's not her final decision. The final decision is taken by the EU 27, excluding Britain. Uh, and and you know the French could decide, you know enough is enough. Let, you know let's get the the British out of the EU. Uh, finally. And this is what the the French, you know, have wanted for some time. And so this is a chance. And so I, I, you know, my hope is actually, as Emmanuel Macron says, Britain needs to leave the European Union on April 12th. That would be the best scenario for Britain. Britain can leave the European Union. Emmanuel Macron can then, you know, can then decide how he wants to shape the future of Europe and, and the Europeans can decide what they want to do, really. But Britain will be out of that. Uh, and, and so I, I just hope that, that, you know, Emmanuel Macron, the French president, does Britain a huge favor next week and says no to any extension and, and lets the British people walk free.
0: You have been immersed in this issue for the last couple of years. Why has it been so complicated?
1: Yeah, it's it, it's a great question, um, uh, really. Why is it so complicated? I think what it boils down to is that there is a, a big disconnect between the British people and the British uh, political elite. And so even though 52% of Britons voted to leave the EU in 2016, 75 to 80% of British MPs voted in the 2016 referendum against Brexit. It's something like 500 out of 650 is the, is the estimate um, who voted for remain. And so you, when you've got this kind of disconnect, it's very hard actually to get Parliament on board for uh, for Brexit, actually. And uh, as we're seeing right now, Parliament's doing its best to actually uh, uh, delay Brexit and ultimately derail it, is, is what most MPs in Parliament want to do right now because they didn't support Brexit. But the British people are demanding that Parliament moves forward with Brexit. And so this is a key reason why it's so complicated uh, right now. Another key reason is that the EU has made the, the negotiations so difficult uh, and, and therefore they, they put Theresa May in a very difficult position because she came away with a deal that wasn't supported by her own party. Uh, and the reason why the EU did this was in order to make Brexit as difficult as possible as a warning to other countries. This is what happens if you try and leave the EU, that uh, you know we will make life very hard for you, which is what they've done with, with Brexit. And so you've got all of these factors. Then you throw into the mix the fact that Theresa May is is a Remainer who leads Britain in the Brexit era. And if you don't have your heart and soul invested in Brexit, it's very hard to lead Britain out of the EU. And that's that's what's happening with Theresa May right now. She could take Britain out of the EU on April 12th at the drop of a hat. That's her prerogative as prime minister to do that. She simply will not do that uh, because she says a no deal is, uh, you know, is uh, is is bad for Britain? She says, you know. And although she said a hundred, a thousand times, No Deal is better than a bad deal. Her deal cannot go through Parliament right now, which is why she's begging the Labour Party and Jeremy Corbyn, who's a Marxist, to help her get the deal through. But I suspect that the Labour Party isn't going to really uh, move in alignment with where Theresa May is, and Parliament's not going to, uh, you know, support her deal. Um, and so Theresa May has gone against her word over and over again, uh, and she's now, I think, throwing uh, Britain un- under the under the bus right now with, with her refusal to countenance a no deal, which is where her own party is. Her own party wants a no deal. Theresa May can take Britain out on April 12th. She'll go down in history as the leader who, who freed Britain from the EU. She's not willing to do that, and that speaks volumes about where she is in terms of her own thinking on, on the European Union. She simply doesn't believe in Brexit.
0: Some key moments in the days ahead. Niall Gardner is the director of the Margaret Thatcher Center at the Heritage Foundation here in Washington, D.C. Thanks very much for stopping by the C-SPAN studios. It's
1: my pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: And a reminder, this podcast is available on the free C-SPAN radio app. All of our programming online at cspan.org. We thank you for listening.